Chapter 14, verse 1, Then all the community raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the Israelites murmured against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had perished in the wilderness. Why has Yahweh brought us to this land, only to be killed by the sword, that our wives and our children should become plunder? Wouldn't it have been better for us to return to Egypt? So that they said to one another, Let's appoint a leader to return to Egypt. Now we've heard this before, but it seems worse now. Because this is almost like saying, you're about ready to die, and you're right on the cusp of entering into heaven, and you say, getting through that gate seemed really overwhelming. It would be better to not be saved and not be a Christian again than to actually go into here. Why has Yahweh even brought his son to die for me? That's kind of what they're saying. Our life in Egypt and slavery was way better before Yahweh ever showed up and ruined it all. I wish I was still in Egypt rather than having Yahweh pull me out and display all these wondrous graces, acts of his kindness. We can't take the land. I much rather have the slavery of Egypt than the good gift of Yahweh. Because I thought we were going to get an instant gratification, remote control, fast food restaurant, microwave gift from God. Not something that I actually would have to trust him and endure before that gift became great. And that's what they're saying here. And this is a huge rejection of Yahweh and his gift. And this is what angers Yahweh. They want to go back to Egypt. Verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell down with their faces to the ground before the whole assembly, assembled community of the Israelites. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of um, Jephthah, two of those who had investigated the land, tore their garments, and they said to the whole community of the Israelites, The land we pass through to investigate is exceedingly good land. If Yahweh delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against Yahweh. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection has turned aside from them, but Yahweh is with us. Do not fear them. Now Joshua steps up and echoes Caleb. Now, probably one of the reasons that Joshua didn't stand up first is it might be seen a little bit biased that Moses' right-hand man is saying, we can take the land. Caleb is a new voice. And he might seem less biased when he's persuading the people. But when the fact that the people would not listen to Caleb and they're being overwhelmed with fear is at that point that Joshua steps up and says, Caleb needs more help. There needs more to be more persuasion. And so he steps up with the exact same faith. And he tells them we can take the land. Now what's interesting is this. He says the people's protection has turned us away from them. The people of the land, what is their protection? Yahweh. Yahweh is the only protection of anybody. And so what he's saying is, look, the thing that has made them great, the thing that's been protecting them is Yahweh. And Yahweh has walked away from them and joined us. That's all that matters. Now, why has Yahweh walked away from them? That takes you back all the way to Genesis 15. 
So remember when God is promising Abraham, I will give you a land, but you are not allowed to enter the land yet because the sin of the Amorites is not yet right. It'll be 400 years before you can enter that land. So what God is saying is this, I am a just God, and I am protecting all the people of the world. I am blessing all the people of the world, but I only bless those who are obedient to me. Just like you can only have a good relationship with somebody when they're in a loving, good relationship with you. And so he says this, the Amorites and the Canaanites, they're sinful. They deserve to be judged in certain degrees. But they don't deserve the judgment of God yet. Now this is huge, and we'll talk about this more when we get the book of Joshua. But you need to understand, at that time period of of Abraham... The Canaanites and the Amorites were involved in bestiality. They were doing child sacrifice. They were doing all these horrible, evil things. They were massacring large people groups and all this kind of stuff. All these things that even Hollywood is not brave enough to put in their movies yet. And God looks at this and says, they don't deserve to be wiped out yet. This is the patience of God. This is the justice of God. They deserve to be punished to a certain extent, but they don't deserve to be kicked out of their land yet because their sin isn't bad enough yet. Therefore, Abraham, I can't put you in that land and kick them out because they don't deserve it. Now, any of us today would be, oh yeah, they deserve it. I don't want to raise my kids next to those people. (laughs) But God looks at it, and yes, their behavior is horrible, But what God is looking at is a whole group of people whose hearts have become so hard that they'll never repent. And he says, I cannot kick them out of the land until that happens. Now, I don't know exactly what point that is because I'm not God and I'm the one who decides when your heart is too hard and all that kind of stuff. But the picture that God is painting is that there's always judgment for sin. But the ultimate act of judgment of kicking you out of the land or removing you from life That's a whole other level of sin. That's a hard, dead heart that will not repent. I mean, God will always accept your repentance, but there's some people who have gone so far that they just won't. And so what God is saying is, they cannot be removed from the land because I'm a just God. But because I know the future, that's not going to happen for another 400 years which means I'm going to protect them until that moment comes because I'm going to show them grace and protection and provision just like I would anybody else so that they will repent and come back to me. But because I know the future, I know that they will never do that. But because I'm a just God, I have to wait till then. Now, this isn't me saying that God has to do this. This is what God, this is God's character. And God cannot violate his character. And so what Joshua is recognizing here is that he knows that if God, the just God, the gracious God, who's quick to forgive no matter what the sin is, if God is bringing this land and giving them permission to displace everybody, then that means that God is now judging them. And he's removed his protection from them, which means there's nothing that can stop them. And that's important for you to understand. And this is Joshua connecting all the dots theologically as well. But the whole community, verse 10, threatened to stone them. But the glory of Yahweh appeared at the Israelites of the tent of meaning. The only thing that stopped Moses, Aaron, and Caleb, and Joshua from being stoned 
as the glory of God presented itself and became a shield for his leaders. Does this make sense? Any questions, comments? Verse 11. It is very important for you to understand that God is not punishing a behavior here. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times to punish behavior. But don't see this specifically as God punishing a behavior. Because if you see it that way, he does seem incredibly harsh. He's punishing a heart that has accused God of being evil and that a life without God is better than being with God. And so what he's punishing is the heart of rebellion. And we all know that as parents or teachers or leaders. There are certain children or certain people that we know that when they do things that are not godly, we know them well enough that we know that that's either just them being sinful and disobedient or them being totally rebellious and hateful and I don't care. And we're a lot more gracious and patient with people who just sin, people who just make mistakes, people who are trapped in addictions or habitual behavior. But when that person looks at you and has evil in their eyes and rebels against you and dares you to do something, that's a whole different kind of a sin and evil. And that's what they've just done with God. This is what's called a high-handed sin. They shook their, fi- their shake, shook their fist at God and said, you're evil. You've brought us here to destroy us. And that's what God's punishing. God most often punishes the heart and not the behavior. The behavior is a symptom of the heart. Yahweh said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? Notice that word despise. Not how long will these people be bad people? How long will they despise me? That's a strong word. How long will they not believe in me in spite of the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and I will disinherit them. I will make you into a great nation that is greater and mightier than they. God says, I'm going to disinherit them. Now, I'm not going to go through all this again in detail because we've already talked about this in Exodus chapter 32, 33, and 34. Okay? The reality is God is saying, I'm going to basically kill all these people or I'm going to disinherit them. Now, we've already seen that. He said the same thing in Exodus. But Moses stepped up and repented on behalf of the people and interceded on their behalf and God forgave them. And we talked about the fact, is this God changing his mind? Like, I'm going to kill them, but now I'm not. Thank you, Moses, for that really great argument. I didn't think about that. Now I'm going to change my mind. A lot of people teach it that way. But the reality is that God, remember, is saying that he is just. And we talked about this before. I'm going to kind of just skim over it. If you want a deeper discussion, go to Exodus 32 and the audio of that. But remember, God is just and merciful. And we talked about this. We know that sin is evil and sin has to be punished. If our government and our court system doesn't punish people, we automatically cry out, that's not right. People need to be punished. Sin has to be dealt with. None of us want to live in a country where there is no justice for sins and crimes. None of us would want to have kids in a country like that. And so God has to be just. He has to punish people. 
because that is his character. And even as people who do not fully maybe comprehend how God can punish like that, we all know that there has to be punishment. But at the same time, God is merciful. And God is gracious and God is kind. And God is so loving that he forgives us of things. So you have to remember that God cannot be merciful and just at the exact same time. So if somebody kills several people, and I as the judge say, the punishment for your crime is I'm going to send you to jail for a lifetime, am I showing mercy there? No. Because I'm showing justice. Therefore, I'm not showing mercy. His punishment is going to jail. But if I said, I forgive you, and I'm not going to send you to jail, because I'm really convinced that me forgiving you and letting you out of jail will like so convict your heart that you won't do it again, am I being just? No, because technically the crime hasn't been punished. And so when God punishes them, in a certain sense, he's not being merciful. But when he's being merciful, he's not punishing them. And that's the difficulty. Even as a parent, you struggle with that. I want to forgive my kids because I love them, but at the same time I have to punish them. And that's the horrible conundrum of being a parent. Like, how much do I punish them? And then they get all screwed up and hate me and need counseling the rest of their life. Or how much do I show mercy and forgiveness and then they turn out to be a spoiled little punk brat that ruins everybody's life? And every single situation you're going into, you don't know where that balance is. But God is perfect and God knows everything. He knows exactly how much justice and how much mercy we need for our lives. But he can't do them both. And that's the beauty of the cross. Because when we get to Romans chapter 3, Paul tells us that the sins of Israel kept building up because the justice of God wasn't being fully executed on them. But in the cross... God finally brought justice to all those sins of the past. Meaning this, how did God show mercy to us on the cross? We didn't die. But that's not just. But how did he demonstrate justice? He poured out all the wrath of him upon his own son, who his son became the representative of all humans and Israel. And so he punished all sin in Christ to the full justice of God. But at the same time, he showed the full mercy and grace of God by giving us eternal life if we accept that. And the cross is the only place in human history where mercy and justice intersect with each other. So here you have a God that has every right to punish Israel because he's just. And God made it very clear in the Mosaic Law. You must obey me. And if you don't obey me, the punishment is death. And all of Israel sacrificed an animal, covered themselves with the blood, covered the altar, which represented with God with blood. And we said, they said, we agree. So they made a covenant with God saying, you can kill us if we rebel. So not only is God just in killing them because he's God and he gave you life and he can take the life away, but he's also just because this is the terms of the covenant that they knew. Yet Moses intercedes and he makes this argument. Verse 13, Moses said to Yahweh, when the Egyptians hear it, 
for you brought up the people by your own power from among them. Then they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land, and they have heard that you, Yahweh, are among this people, and that you, Yahweh, have seen face to face, that your cloud stands over them, and that you go before them by day in the pillar of cloud and by pillar of fire by night. If you kill this entire people at once, then the nations that have heard of your fame will say, because Yahweh was not able to bring the people into the land, he swore to them, he killed them in the wilderness. So his first argument is that you're going to look like to all the people of the world like you're not a just God or a forgiving God or a gracious God, that you don't honor your promises. Now Moses is not saying that if you do this, you're not a good God. He's saying to a world of ignorant people, if you do this, you will look like a not good God. Then he goes on. So now let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have said. Yahweh is slow to anger, abounding in loyal love, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children until the third and the fourth generation. Please forgive the iniquity of these people according to your great loyal love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even till now. Then the next argument that Moses says is because you are a merciful God. You're quick to forgive. You're abounding in love. This is the same argument that Moses made back in Exodus 32. Then Yahweh said, I have forgiven them as you asked, but truly as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of Yahweh. So God says, I'll forgive them, and they can live. Now, here's the thing. This is not God changing his mind. This is not God persuaded by human logic to think differently. This is a God who had every right to be just against his people. But when they ask for forgiveness... Remember, the first and primary character of God is mercy and love. And God forgave. And he had every right to do that because God is a forgiving and merciful God. It's not that he was convinced with an argument and changed his mind. It's that he saw repentance and he acted. Now, this isn't God changing his mind because remember... God has clearly laid out all throughout the Bible what will happen if you obey him and disobey him. God has made it very clear. If you disobey me, then you will be punished. That is the path that is guaranteed of you. But he's also made it clear. If you repent and humble yourself before me, then I will forgive you. So if I disobey and then I repent and God forgives me, that's not God changing his mind. Because God has already decided that's what will happen, right? It's like if your, your kid comes up to you and you're punishing them, they fall down, they repent and all this kind of stuff, and then you forgive them. This wasn't like they, did it, they gave you a really good argument to change your mind. It said that you are both merciful and just. And so God has clearly laid out two paths, and we're going to see this very clearly in Deuteronomy. Moses is going to come to them Deuteronomy and says, I have laid before you life and death, you choose. I have laid before you cursings and blessings, you choose. And that's all we're seeing here. It's not a God changing his mind, but a God honoring his promise. If you disobey me, you will experience justice. If you repent and seek me out, you will experience mercy. I'm not changing my mind. This is my character. And Moses steps in and intercedes on your behalf. 
And this is exactly what Christ is doing for you. Because you all deserved the justice of God. But Christ stepped onto the cross and interceded on your behalf. And he said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they do. And in that moment, Christ's repentance, Christ's intercession, not that Christ needed to repent, but he became our mediator, our representative. He gave us the mercy of God. But remember, we talked about this with the golden calf. Even though God forgave them all, they have to accept that gift of forgiveness. And those who didn't, the whole nation didn't die that day, but 3,000 people did. Because the 3,000 people in the nation said, screw that, I don't want that forgiveness. And when you reject the forgiveness of God, the, all that is left for you is the law. In the same way, Christ gave the entire world the free gift of salvation, but the, all those who reject it, what they are left with is the law. And that's the point that Revelation is making. There's two books, the book of the Lamb and the book of the law. If you reject the life of the Lamb, then you go to the book of the law, but nobody can meet the requirements of the book of the law, so all there is is death. And the same thing we're going to see here. Those who accept the forgiveness that Moses just gained on their behalf, they will live, but those who reject it will die. This is not a God who changes his mind. This is a God who's acting true to his character that we fully understand in the cross, but sometimes have a hard time seeing how it's operating in the First Testament because it's so different to us. Does that make sense? And this is exactly what the prophets are going to lay out. Over and over again, you're going to see this over and over again. If you disobey, there's death. If you repent, there's life. But the main thing the narrator wants you to get from this is how quickly God wants to forgive. It doesn't take much. That's what you see all throughout the Bible. I mean, you and I sometimes have to be persuaded because we've got like the temper going and the anger going. And we're thinking through all these things, and we're like, I don't know, I don't know. And then it takes a while to cool down, and we come back, and we're like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll reduce your grounding from forever to just like a couple of months, okay? That's how you and I operate. Because we're not abounding in love. But Moses comes to God and says, please don't kill him. God's like, okay. Because God is filled primarily with compassion and love and forgiveness. And that's what the narrator wants you to see, is the abounding love the quick to forgive, the quick to love, because that's the character of God. And God can do that because he knows the cross is coming. He knows the cross is coming. And he knows that justice and mercy will all be executed perfectly there. And so that's what you need to understand here, is this God who wants to forgive. Remember, the atheist wants you to just see the judgment of God. They don't want you to see the context of who God is and his character. Any questions? Any questions?